Book four, chapters six to nine of Ten Books on Architecture. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Friedrich Carlson. Ten Books on Architecture by Vitruvius, translated by Morris Hickey Morgan. Chapter six. The Doorways of Temples. One. For the doorways of temples and their casings, the rules are as follows. First, determining of what styles they are to be. The styles of portals are Doric, Ionic, and Attic. In the Doric, the symmetrical proportions are distinguished by the following rules. Let the top of the corona, which is laid above the casing, be on a level with the tops of the capitals of the columns in the pronouns. The aperture of the doorway should be determined by dividing the height of the temple from floor to coffered ceiling into three and a half parts and letting two and a half thereof constitute the height of the aperture of the folding doors. Let this in turn be divided into twelve parts and let five and a half of these form the width of the bottom of the aperture. At the top this width should be diminished if the aperture is sixteen feet in height by one third the width of the door jamb. If the aperture is from sixteen to twenty-five feet, let the upper part of it be diminished by one quarter of the jamb. If from twenty-five to thirty feet, let the top be diminished by one-eighth of the jamb. Other and higher apertures should, as it seems, have their sides perpendicular. 2. Further, the jams themselves should be diminished at the top by one-fourteenth of their width. The height of the lintel should be equivalent to the width of the jams at the top. Its cymatium ought to be one-sixth of the jam, with a projection equivalent to its height. The style of carving of the cymatium with its estergel should be the lesbian. Above the cymatium of the lintel, place the frieze of the doorway of the same height as the lintel and having a Doric cymatium and lesbian astragal carved upon it. Let the corona and its cymatium at the top of all be carved without ornamentation and have a projection equal to its height. To the right and left of the lintel, which rests upon the jams, there are to be projections fashioned like projecting bases and jointed to a nicety with the cymatium itself. 3. If the doorways are to be of the Ionic style, the height of the aperture should be reached in the same manner as in the Doric. Let its width be determined by dividing the height into two and a half parts and letting one of them form the width at the bottom. The diminution should be the same as for Doric. The width of the faces of the jams should be one-fourteenth of the height of the aperture and the cymatium one-sixth of the width. Let the rest, excluding the cymatium, be divided into twelve parts. Let three of these compose the first fascia with its astragal, four the second, and five the third, the fascia with their astragals running side by side all around. 4. The cornices of Ionic doorways should be constructed in the same manner as those of Doric, in due proportions. The consoles, otherwise called brackets, carved at the right and left, should hang down to the level of the bottom of the lintel, exclusive of the leaf. Their width on the face should be two-thirds of the width of the jamb, but at the bottom one-fourth slenderer than above. Doors should be constructed with the hinge styles one-twelfth of the width of the whole aperture. The panels between two styles should each occupy three of the twelve parts. 5. The rails will be apportioned thus. Divide the height into five parts, of which assign two to the upper portions and three to the lower. Above the center, place the middle rails, insert the others at the top and at the bottom. Let the height of a rail be one-third of the breadth of a panel, and its somatium one-sixth of the rail. 
The width of the meeting stiles should be one-half the rail and the covered joint two-thirds of the rail. The stiles toward the sides of the jams should be one-half the rail. If the doors have folds in them, the height will remain as before, but the width should be double that of a single door. If the door is to have four folds, its height should be increased. 6. Attic doorways are built with the same proportions as Doric. Besides, there are fasciae running all around under the sarmatia on the jams, and a portion so as to be equal to three-sevenths of a jam, excluding the cymatia. The doors are without lattice-work, are not double, but have folds in them, and open outward. The laws which should govern the design of temples built in the Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian styles have now, so far as I could arrive at them, been set forth according to what may be called the accepted methods. I shall next speak of the arrangements in the Tuscan style, showing how they should be treated. Chapter 7. Tuscan Temples 1. The place where the temple is to be built, having been divided on its length into six parts, deduct one, and let the rest be given to its width. Then let the length be divided into two equal parts, of which let the inner be reserved a space for the cellar, and the part next the front left for the arrangement of the columns. 2. Next let the width be divided into ten parts. Of these, let three on the right and three on the left be given to the smaller cellae, or to the ally if there are to be ally and the other four devoted to the middle of the temple. Let the space in front of the cellae, in the pronounce, be marked out for columns thus. The corner columns should be placed opposite the anti on the line of the outside walls, the two middle columns set out on the line of the walls which are between the anti and the middle of the temple, and through the middle, between the anti and the front columns, a second row arranged on the same lines. Let the thickness of the columns at the bottom be one-seventh of their height, their height one-third of the width of the temple, and the diminution of a column at the top one-fourth of its thickness at the bottom. 3. The height of their bases should be one-half of that thickness. The plinth of their bases should be circular, and in height one-half the height of the bases, the torus above it and conge being of the same height as the plinth. The height of the capital is one-half of the thickness of a column. The abacus has a width equivalent to the thickness of the bottom of a column. Let the height of the capital be divided into three parts, and give one to the plinth, that is, the abacus, the second to the echinus, and the third to the necking with its conge. 4. Upon the columns lay the main beams, fastened together to a height commensurate with the requirements of the size of the building. These beams fastened together should be laid so as to be equivalent in thickness to the necking at the top of a column and should be fastened together by means of dowels and dovetailed tenons in such a way that there shall be a space two fingers broad between them at the fastening. For if they touch one another and so do not leave air holes and admit draughts of air to blow between them, they get heated and soon begin to rot. 5. Above the beams and walls, let the mutules project to a distance equal to one-quarter of the height of a column, along the front of them nail casings. Above, build the tympanum of the pediment either in masonry or in wood. The pediment with its ridge-pole, principal rafters, and purlins are to be built in such a way that the eaves shall be equivalent to one-third of the completed roof. Chapter 8. Circular Temples and Other Varieties 1. 
There are also circular temples, some of which are constructed in monopteral form, surrounded by columns, but without a cella, while others are termed peripteral. Those that are without a cella have a raised platform and a flight of steps leading to it, one-third of the diameter of the temple. The columns upon the stylobates are constructed of a height equivalent to the diameter taken between the outer edges of the stylobate walls, and of a thickness equivalent to one-tenth of their height, including the capitals and bases. The architrave has the height of one-half of the thickness of a column. The frieze and the other parts placed above it are such as I have described in the third book on the subject of symmetrical proportions. 2. But if such a temple is to be constructed in peripteral form, let two steps and then the stylobate be constructed below. Next, let the cella wall be set up, recessed with the stylobate above one-fifth of the breadth thereof, and let a place for folding doors be left in the middle to afford entrance. This cella, excluding its walls and the passage round the outside, should have a diameter equivalent to the height of a column above the stylobate. Let the columns round the cella be arranged in the symmetrical proportions just given. 3. The proportions of the roof in the center should be such that the height of the rotunda, excluding the finial, is equivalent to one-half the diameter of the whole work. The finial, excluding its pyramidal base, should have the dimensions of the capital of a column. All the rest must be built in the symmetrical proportions described above. 4. There are also other kinds of temples constructed in the same symmetrical proportions and yet with a different kind of plan. For example, the temple of Castor in the district of Circus Flaminius, that of Vejovis between the two groves, and still more ingeniously the temple of Diana in her sacred grove, with columns added on the right and left at the flanks of the pronouns. Temples of this kind, like that of Castor in the Circus, were first built in Athens on the Acropolis and in Attica at Sunium to Pallas Minerva. The proportions of them are not different, but the same as usual. For the length of their cellae is twice the width as in other temples, but all that we regularly find in the fronts of the others is in these transferred to the sides. 5. Some take the arrangement of columns belonging to the Tuscan order and apply it to buildings in the Corinthian and Ionic style, and where there are projecting anti in the pronouns, set up two columns in a line with each of their cellar walls, thus making a combination of the principles of Tuscan and Greek buildings. 6. Others actually remove the temple walls, transferring them to the intercolumniations, and thus, by dispensing with the space needed for a pteroma, greatly increase the extent of the cella. So, while leaving all the rest in the same symmetrical proportions, they appear to have produced a new kind of plan with a new name, pseudoperipteral. These kinds, however, vary according to the requirements of the sacrifices for we must not build temples according to the same rules to all gods alike, since the performance of the sacred rites varies with the various gods. 7. I have now set forth, as they have come down to me, all the principles governing the building of temples, have marked out under separate heads the arrangements and proportions, and have set forth, so far as I could express them in writing, the differences in their plans and the distinctions which make them unlike one another. Next, with regard to the altars of the immortal gods, I shall state how they may be constructed so as to conform to the rules governing sacrifices. Chapter 9. Altars. 
Altars should face the east and should always be placed on a lower level than are the statues in the temple, so that those who are praying and sacrificing may look upwards towards the divinity. They are of different heights, being each regulated so as to be appropriate to its own god. The heights are to be adjusted thus. For Jupiter and all the celestials, let them be constructed as high as possible. For Vesta and Mother Earth, let them be built low. In accordance with these rules, will altars be adjusted when one is preparing his plans. Having described the arrangements of temples in this book, in the following we shall give an exposition of the construction of public buildings. End of Book 4